Hi everyone, and welcome to Happy Paws, presented by FearFreeHappyHomes.com. Happy Paws is a podcast by pet lovers, for pet lovers. We take a scientific and evidence-backed approach to helping you understand your pet on a deeper level. In this episode, we're joined by Arden Moore, master instructor in pet first aid and host of the nationally syndicated radio show, Arden Moore's Four-Legged Life. We're honing in on pet first aid, why it's important, what you need to do in an emergency situation, and how to learn more to keep your pets safe from harm. Arden, you are such a good friend to our family. I've known you for many, many years. You've been a mentor to me. You're joining me today with your whole critter crew behind you, and you're getting some kisses as we're starting the show. So so tell us all about you. Like, who are you? What do you do? I know I'm putting you on the spot, but gosh, you are just incredible. Well, first of all, uh, Mikkel, thank you for inviting me on your show. I'm honored. And I have my four-legged teammates here, uh, Kona and Emma and Casey, uh, in my backyard office, appropriately called Ard's Den. Um, I guess uh, my last name says it all, more. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> that's what I do in the pet world. Um, I really enjoy uh, being able to be a master instructor in pet first aid. I host two shows, uh, the longest running pet podcast on the planet called Oh Behave, been air- on the air since 07. And that is uh, with uh, Pet Life Radio. And then I now have, as you know, a new nationally syndicated radio show that also goes on YouTube called Arden Moore's four-legged life. And everybody can just go to fourleggedlife.com and sign up for free. You've been one of my first guests. So that episode will be airing soon. And I'm in a, a competition with your dad, Dr. Marty Becker, Becker, as to who can write the most pet books. I'm not sure we might be neck and neck. I I've got 27 down. Oh gosh, you may have him beat. I think you have him beat. That's pretty amazing. That's incredible. Well, in terms of sales, though, he has smoked me. What, what is what is your favorite book that you've written? Like, which one are you most proud of? Um, I like them all, but the one that I the the pair that I wrote during COVID that reaches kids has been my favorite, and they're called A Kid's Guide to Dogs and A Kid's Guide to Cats, and they have running sidebars with Pet Safety Cat Casey and pet safety dog Kona. They came out, oh, I think in end of 2020, and they're already in their fifth printing in five languages and both won major awards by the dog writers and the cat writers. But for me, I'm reaching a new generation of pet care providers. And so you asked me that. Those are my two favorites. Oh, well, I definitely love them. I have them for Reagan, my 12-year-old daughter, but I have to say I loved reading them myself. They're so good. I think for any age, they're just excellent and so many great tidbits, great graphics. So I can see why those are your favorites. Well, kids like it because I teach them how to be a poopologist. So, so explain a little bit about that. We're talking pet first aid today, pet, you know, just some, yeah, some of those we're things. We're going down to poop line. Yeah. We're taking the poop <laughs> highway. So, so well, you, I think yeah, what are you kids, for? yeah, kids are helping their parents care for their pets. And I want them to start out early on and learn how to act like actually pet detectives and be able to report to mom and dad, Hey, you know, um, Blue's poop is looking kind of funky or 
the kitty is not going in the litter box or whoo, it really stinks. <laughs> what did they eat? A bad burrito? But so there is a section and this is from veterinarians, not me, but actually teach kids and people of all ages to pay attention to your pet's bathroom habits because you can pick up health clues and signals of uh-ohs coming. And what veterinarians have taught me is that actually they score poop on a scale of one to seven. You really want your poop to be, your pet's poop to be a score of three or four. What does that mean? Well, I asked my veterinary advisors on my pet health free, uh, pet health, pet first aid for you, um, company. Can you please make sure I'm saying this the right way? And they said, yeah, use an example. So your dog, your cat's poop should look like a glistening Tootsie roll. Wow. It that looks is like quite a log. The image. <laughs> Thankfully I don't like Tootsie yeah, rolls, yeah, but no for more, those who no do. More biting into, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't think I'll get sponsored by Tootsie Roll. <laughs> and then that's good. That means it's formed. Everything looks good. It's properly hydrated. You don't want your pet's poop to look like uh, hard little rocks or like milk duds because that means they're dehydrated. And that is a score of a one. Hmm. And you definitely do not want your pet's poop to um, come flushing out the back end like a, a stinky smelly chocolate milkshake. There, I ruined it for you on milkshakes. <laughs> That's a seven. And that means obviously they have diarrhea, but there's something that may be inside their body that the body's trying to boot out. Mm -hmm. And if it's chronic, it's happening again and again, it could mean that, um, that they're dangerously uh, going to be dehydrated and there's something going on. We always bring samples to our veterinarians. And so poop is a big thing. Same thing with urine. We call, Veterinarians call it liquid gold. And so in our pet first aid classes, we really educate our students about that. Because if the dog is urinating excessively, little spurts all around, that dog may have a urinary tract infection. Or if your kitty goes to the litter box and just sits there and nothing's coming out, it could be a blockage. And so I try to make my classes fun, but I also want to have people kind of tune into their detective skills, look, listen, smell, and safely touch. And so, in fact, uh, my cat, Casey, he's an orange tabby. He's a therapy cat, and he teaches pet first aid with me. I actually saved his life about four years ago. Wow. Tell me about that. Um, well, we were in this backyard office. It was Sunday night and I was watching football or golf, some other thing. And Casey went into the litter box and he was, he was just standing there. And then I heard him make this sound. Oh. And I walked over and there was just a little dollop of urine with red in it, which indicates blood. Mm -hmm. So I took my dog Kona's, one of her spare poop bags, brought the evidence, brought Casey, of course it happens on Sunday night. That's only when pet emergencies oh, happen, you know, right before a vacation, right, Mikkel? Mm -hmm. <laughs> on a weekend, on a holiday, whatever. But I brought Casey to the emergency uh, veterinary hospital in our area in Dallas. And I was glad I did because they manipulated his him on the uh, exam table and he let loose a river of urine. I found out they kept him overnight, which is great. And they said, you know, boy cats and boy dogs, the urethra, I, I describe it as a road rally race. 
the track. So there's curves and banks, and they're more prone to having blockages of stones and crystals and other things because of the way their urethra winds out of their, here's the medical term, pee-pee hole. So <laughs> I- Thank you for that. The next morning, <laughs> I know, the next morning I picked up Casey, he was all healthy and good, and I'll never forget what the veterinarian said. And she said to me, Arden, I'm so glad you brought Casey in last night. Had you waited until the morning, he may not have made it because he could have died from urine toxicity. Wow. So the message I give to my students is this. It's better to have a veterinarian say, hey, everything's good, but thanks mm -hmm. for coming, than to have the veterinarian say, why did you wait? Yes. Oh, my gosh. And the other message I try to give in my classes is, I promise all my students that when they walk into the classroom and by the time they finish, you're going to have more skills. And the best thing I can tell everybody is when uh-oh happens with your dog or cat, you need to be able to do the best you can in the circumstances you're in with the skills you have. So taking a pet first aid class accelerates your knowledge and you may be able to save your pet's life. And of all the things I do, Mikkel, I really, really am passionate about teaching pet first aid, making it a little fun so they're not scared and being able to team up with Kona and Casey, arguably the hardest working cat and dog safety team on the planet. I love that. Well, I, I know... I like throughout today, I'm so excited to like find out more details and to ask you some specific questions, but just know I plan to sign up for one of your pet first aid classes, at least one, if not <laughs> multiple after this. So I'm super excited. I've been wanting to do it for You're a while. Most welcome. It's just one of those things like where, you know, it's, it, we should do it. And I've had some training as a trainer in case something happens in one of my classes Good. or with my own dogs, but I know that things change. And so I bet you it's oh, probably changed a lot, even since when I was going through my training on kind of just yeah. the basics of what to do. So, so let's talk about choking. I think that's a big one. So <laughs> that is <laughs> like my bad jokes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some of your, some of your medical technical terms, which I like. That's yeah. so funny. Um, so let's see. Uh, so say that we have a, a dog is chewing on a rawhide or maybe your cat has, you know, they, they ingested something like a string or whatever it might be. And they start to choke. Yeah. Like what, what do we do? And I, and you know, differences in maybe large, small dog, things like that? Well, that, that's a great question, Mikkel, because that is something that's probably going to happen in all of our lifetimes with our pets. Um, this is where your eyes and your ears play big roles. Um, when a dog maybe grab a chicken bone off your plate and you, and you hear that coughing and, and they're, they're thrusting forward, um, they're trying to get it out themselves. What I recommend at that situation is to get the other distractions out, other dogs, other pets, um, kids, because you don't want another dog coming up to the dog that's choking because that's going to cause a lot of, you know, stress and maybe have a, a, a resource guarding. You know, you're the trainer, but get the room safe and then you move in when that sound from the coughing turns to what I call a strider. And that's a sound like... <gasps> 
and you're going to be, and here's a bad word, instead of being the godfather, they sound like they're the dog father. You know, that's when they have that raspy voice. That means that they're not getting a full breath of air in. That shows that there's a partial blockage and they do need our help. So with a larger dog, you just glide your hand under their rib cage all the way to the end. And trust me, folks, it go, it's longer on the <laughs> than you think. And you're going to find a little soft, cushy spot right at the end of the rib cage by the sternum. That's where you take a fist with your thumb inside so you don't hurt them. And you put your other hand flat like a cup and saucer. And your thr thrust on the exhale is up and forward like a backwards J. And so that's, uh, that's a good one to do for the little guys or cats. You can actually probably as people have learned with uh, baby CPR, you can brace them with their back against your chest and you glide one hand down the rib cage. You find that little soft spot again, again, thumb goes in and you're going to go in, in and up each time on the exhale. And are they facing, facing away from you? They're facing out. Okay. Yeah, they're facing out. So, so their their back is against your chest. Okay. So explain that one more time for me. But here's the, if you could. I, I, if, if you don't mind doing a review, because okay. I'm trying to remember this. So so with the dog, the big, oh, no, the big I, dog, I, you are the more you say it, the more you learn it. When you have a little one that you can put comfortably, like a little dog or a cat, you have them so their back is against your chest. You and them are both facing out. Mm -hmm. Does that make it sense? It does. It does. And then, okay. and then you are putting your hand on the soft part of, so, you, so similar. You go down the rib cage okay. with your fingers. You find the soft spot at the end of the rib cage, putting your thumb inside. You're going to push in and up on the exhale. So you're going to hear the little one go, <gasps> and then you're going to go thrust. And you do that on five exhales, and then you inspect the mouth after each five. The last thing you asked me, though, is a really good one. Sometimes our dog or our cat, they're playing with some linear object. Maybe they got your shoelace. Maybe the feather wand toy broke and there's a long string. Maybe you were sewing. Oh my gosh. And there's a needle and thread. When a cat or a dog or dental floss, when a cat or dog ingests some linear object and you see it in their mouth, if you start pulling it out and there's any, any resistance, you want to stop because you could strangle the, the, the throat. Imagine a needle and thread and the needles inside the belly just creating lacerations left and right. In those cases, you will have to breathe for that pet should they become unconscious. In fact, I actually saved my sister's dog, Maddie, because Maddie got into Deb's uh, dental floss, you know, those little plastic square containers, and she had crushed it. And I was in the back room and I heard this coughing and choking. By the time I got around to the living room, I saw my sister's um, Bichon Frise mix collapse. Her mouth was full of dental floss. Fortunately, as I'm weaving it out, I found the metal clip right there at, the, at her throat and I was able to get it out, but she was still unconscious. And I had to do two sets of one minute uh, mouth to snout, rescue breathing. And she popped up like toast, Mikkel. Like, hey, what's happening? <laughs> yeah, business <laughs> as like, usual. My I'm catching my heart. I'm catching my heart. I'm like, wow. okay. 
ring, ring, ring to the nearest veterinary clinic. Hi, I've got a five-year-old uh, small dog who uh, collapsed and was unconscious from eating, uh, choking on dental floss. I revived her. We're about seven minutes out. And this is a good thing everyone should do. You have permission to freak out later. But when your pet needs you, you've got to be calm and cool. Fake it till you make it. And I brought all that mess of dental floss, brought that very happy Maddie. And I was very glad the veterinarian did go ahead and do an x-ray just to make sure she didn't have anything else in her, in her throat. I mean, the whole purpose of first aid is this. We are the life-saving bridge between the uh-oh and getting that pet safely to the veterinary clinic. Our job is to render aid on the scene and stabilize and mobilize them and get them to the veterinarian. And I'm very, very uh, happy that I have a ton of veterinarians that have supported our program and we work in unison. I actually train a lot of veterinary staffs. And this sounds weird that are like they're vet techs or veterinarians. Why do they need me? Well, because when you are in a clinic, you have everything within reach. But if you're sitting on the couch watching a you know, Netflix show and your dog starts ch choking on a chunk of cheddar cheese, you may not know what to do. So my job is to show you what to do in, uh, you know, real life situations, traveling at home, you know, uh, hiking with your pet when a veterinarian is far away. So um, that, and that was always kind of surprising. I'm like, why do you ask me? <laughs> you got like Vanna White initials after your name. But again, it's all about we're in a situation where life happens. We are first responders. That's what that's what first aid is. Everyone, you are getting to be a first responder. And then we get the pet safely to the veterinary team. So one thing I don't think a lot of people realize, and I definitely didn't realize this until talking a lot more with my dad over issues, you know, like you said, life just happens. <laughs> so I remember one time my pug Willie got into some string. And so my dad was like, oh, oh. boy, that's a big deal, you know? And um, so thankfully with my dad's help over the phone, I was able to kind of reel that back out, made sure it was like all there, but it was really scary. And especially once, yeah. once you told me, you know, anything like you're talking dental floss, uh, string, ribbon, like, can you explain why that is such a big issue? even, you know, because I didn't realize that until really going through it myself yeah, and my dad um, talking to me. Well, I'm glad he was there to talk you through it with Willie. The thing is when an animal swallows something that's long and with cats, they have that raspy, you know, they got that tongue with all the little barbs on it. It can get stuck somewhere going down. And if you're tugging and there's resistance, you unintentionally are actually putting a stranglehold of that linear object around the, the throat, the larynx, the voice box. If you, if you were maybe quilting or you were sewing or something and the dog swallowed the uh, spool of, uh, of, uh, of thread and it has a needle on it, if you start tugging and there's a resistance you actually could cause internal bleeding and damage. You could lacerate the liver, the lungs, the hearts. So in those scenarios, the recommendation is to breathe for that pet. And the way we do breathing for a pet is you actually put your mouth on their nostrils. It's called mouth to snout. You keep the upper and lower jaw sealed so the air doesn't go flapping out the side and you're able to keep the heart going and the lungs going 
until you can get to the veterinary clinic. So I want to ask you more so on the rescue yeah. breathing in, in just a minute. And so say, say that a pet uh, swallows that yarn or swallows that string. And it's, it's, it seems like it's <laughs> yeah. down there. And so it's like, okay, well, hopefully that will pass. I remember like, you know, being kind of, uh, I ignorant, I, I guess about that <laughs> earlier on in, in, um, just my life as a, a pet parent an early pet parent back in college. So, but mm-hmm. I, my dad was like, uh, uh-uh, uh, uh, big deal, big deal. Like that can go really, really sour. And, you know, he was telling me how it can wrap up in the intestines and actually, cause like severe damage yeah. to actual like death. And I did not realize that. So, so can you talk a little on that piece? <laughs> sure. And your dad actually taught me this phrase, labs chew till they're two and shed till they're dead. What does that mean, everybody? That means that our dogs, especially more so than our cats, investigate their world by sniffing and swallowing. <laughs> they pop it in their mouth and then they either go yum or they go, uh-oh, Cats tend to be more about exploring with their paws, not just popping things in their mouth. But the, the, the advice I can give you all is pay attention to your surroundings. Pets make us neater housekeepers. We can't just leave things around because they'll get into them, chew them, swallow them. And if you know for certain that it was uh, some sort of linear thing like a shoelace or, um, or something like that or dental floss, you know, it is always better to have that pet taken to the vet for x-rays. Because what if your dog, Mikkel, got into, swallowed a penny as well as something linear? Well, pennies are not really good for dogs. They're toxic. And so I, I'd rather err on the side of caution and have a veterinarian say, okay, it's in here and, and be able to follow his or her guidance. Yes, do do dogs and cats poop out that shoelace sometimes? Of course they do. But there could be that time where it gets tangled up in the intestines. And then you don't know for sure, but your dog seems to have a pain around the abdomen and the chest, you know, the belly, or they're hiding more, they're just not eating. Well, it could be because their digestive system is literally wrapped up by the shoelace. So it's, I just, I prefer having the vet say all good rather than why did you wait? Absolutely. Absolutely. And just to live with that guilt and, you know, and I think that's, that that was the part, you know, being a daughter of a vet, I'm like, oh, just call dad, you know, and, and, uh, (laughs) but you know, even now it's like, I, I just, you know, if I can't get a hold of him right away, I'm, I'm still headed in regardless. And, you know, I think that that's so smart. And just like you said, you know, we are those first responders and sometimes there are those emergencies where it's like, we have to figure it out right now, right here. Otherwise we won't even get them safely yeah. to the vet. So, so talk about rescue. Well, rats. I was going to say one thing that I think is the most important skill set anyone can have in doing help for an injured dog or cat. And it's things I've learned with being with fear-free pets your mental game and your emotional state really can make or break how successful you are in helping aid an injured dog. So, you know, all about fear, anxiety, and stress. I teach all my students how to safely approach a pet, what to say, how to say it, and how to, I give them jokingly, I say, I give you permission to freak out later. And when you say that to someone, 
You're giving them a chance when the pet has been stabilized, when the pet is in the hands of the vet team. If you want to scream, if you want to run, if you want to have a shot of fireball, whatever is your go-to freak out, you need to do that because the adrenaline has drained and you need to do that for yourself. But all the first responders I deal with, and I, I teach um, paramedics, firefighters, veterinarians, canine police officers, every one of them have taught me a lot of skills, as has Fear Free, as one of, uh, as, you know, I'm one of your, I'm on your team. Um, but I really incorporate Fear Free because I think people need to realize you never baby talk to an injured pet. You, you never um, apologize when you're giving medicine or you're treating a, a leg injury, you got to be a can-do voice because as you know, more than me, dogs and cats, they smell our emotional state. So with Casey and Kona, I'm like, hey, I gotcha. I'm here for you. Everything's going to be good. And I jokingly uh, say we never face a dog face-to-face -face or a cat who's injured I call it the doggy De Niro. You're talking to me, I'm talking to you. You're talking to me, I'm talking to you. If I tried to treat Kona or another dog and looked at them head on, I just spiked their level of fearful aggression and I'm going to get bit. So we always teach people how to come from behind the dog. You control the head, you control the bite, and you never keep your fingers apart around the muzzle when you're putting on a makeshift muzzle because that's an easy nugget to grab from a dog and be able to bite. So you sweep your hands on and off. And um, I also tell them dogs are surgeons when it comes to the control of their bite. If you get a nose tap, if you get a tooth tap, if you get a tooth drag or you break skin or they go for the gusto, every one of those were deliberate. Yeah. Can you, can you talk a little bit more about that? Cause I think that that is a big misconception. Yeah. And people would be like, Oh, I, I hear this actually a lot. You know, the dog tried to bite me, but I pulled my arm away fast enough. Like I, it was, you know, no. if I hadn't been so fast. <laughs> <They're better> than, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, as you know, they have much sharper uh, reflexes and uh, they're, they're, they're surgeons of bites. Is that what is mm -hmm. kind of what I want to call it? And the point is, I have a very sweet pet safety dog, Kona. She's a terrier mix, about 35 pounds. I feel like we are so connected. She's a therapy dog. She goes to memory care school hospitals and schools and everything. But even I know that if she's in pain, she could hurt me. She could bite me. Mm -hmm. And the same with my cat, Casey. He's also a therapy cat. Think about you and I. Um, when you're in pain, you're not going to win Miss Congeniality, are you, Mikkel? No, definitely not. No, I've, I've hurt my right. neck actually this last week and I have been a little bit crabby. Oh. I have to admit, you know, it's, <laughs> it's hard. I'm like, give me a little extra grace, you guys. And you know, but yeah. yeah. And that's even just a minor so thing. Think about that and, and realize your pets in pain, the most important being to protect in a pet first aid situation is you. Because if you get hurt by the pet or you run out into traffic when your pet gets hit by a car and you're not looking, you could be killed. So it's not being selfish. It's being safe and smart. So with that, with the dog and the bite, I really encourage everybody to have practice sessions with makeshift ways to put a muzzle on a dog. Um, in our classes, we use a six foot lead for dogs with normal size muzzle. But we also have what I call being a, here's my patented um, mutt giver. 
I teach people how to MutGyver when they don't have a first aid kit and the vet clinic is far away. What do you have wearing around you that you can put a makeshift muzzle on your pet? Now, I know you have a brachiocephalic breed, right? What's your dog's I name? I do. I have I have a Puggle, and I have, uh, so that's Indiana Bones, and then I have Otis, okay. who's a, a Pug, Pekingese, Brussels Griffin mix. Okay. So in those cases, I show people in class for dogs with pushed-in faces where the six-foot leash around the muzzle isn't going to make it. Um, I show you how you use a towel and a leash to kind of put a big, thick wrap around the pet. So you're controlling the lower jaw. Think of the lower jaw as the power of the bite, like the drawbridge. So if they're sequestered with the towel and you can tie it in the back with the leash, you're not hurting the trachea, but it is it's wide and thick and it's impeding the ability of that injured dog from getting a, a chomp on you. And so... I think there's more and more people getting Frenchies. I think they're the number two breed now next to labs. So in my class, I keep, yeah, I keep trying to add new things because life changes. You have to update. So I love being able to teach people how to use, you know, the drawstrings of your hoodie or a spare leash to put a makeshift muzzle on your pet who's injured and conscious. So you're not getting bit while you're splinting their leg. We never obviously put a muzzle on a dog that's unconscious, but it is all about our safety. So what I came back to is, you know, this as a trainer, dogs and cats are into predictability, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. They don't want, they don't like surprise endings. Yes. They want to know what's <laughs> going to the happen. They're the ones on the mm -hmm. couch. Yeah. They're the ones on the couch that already went on Google and found out what the end of the show ended because <laughs> they just don't like surprise endings. <laughs> they haven't told you that. They Mattel. read the last page. But the point is, yeah, yeah. So I say practice splinting a leg, practice putting on a makeshift muzzle on a dog or a cat, toweling a cat, putting them in a carrier, bring on the great treats, do it one-on-one -on -one without distractions and make them feel like this is such a cool time and your attitude is good. Your attitude is positive. So they download, okay, mom's putting this on my nose. Okay. Then she takes it off. Then she gives me like the best treat I've ever had. And we go about our day. So why am I doing that now? Because when the real deal hurt hits and your pet does need to be muzzled, they have that predictability. They have already, okay, they're going to put this on me. I'm in pain, but I know when they take it off, I'm getting a treat. So if you can get in that habit and with cats and dogs, I mean, you're, you're going to be able to do more help sooner. And so all my pets, I wrap them up <laughs> and towel them up and then they get treats when I take off the muzzles. And you know what? I think it's a, it's a gift we can give our pets, give them the gift of safety, let them know that, yeah, we like to spoil them and take them for walks and go cool places, but we're also there to keep them safe. And I think that's one of the best things we can do for our pets. I love that. You know, we talk a lot about muzzle training in Fear Free and getting dogs comfortable with wearing a basket muzzle, especially because they can still pant yeah. and eat and drink. 
But as you said, sometimes things happen and you may be, I we don't have a, bu- a, ba- a basket muzzle, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So getting them comfortable. My parents just got a little a Pomeranian puppy and we've all been working with Aww. her on, on actually, you know, getting her really comfortable with having her muzzle touch, having like string kind of, you know, or like, uh, the leash wrapped around her muzzle, giving her treats. So Good. I love, and I was doing that more for the Hanley standpoint, but I wasn't really thinking about the application of first aid and how that could apply in the moment with that momentary muzzle. And I know I've, I myself have yeah. used that before. There was a, uh, for instance, there was a, a big Great Dane that I found that was a stray that had been <laughs> out running and it was just kind of a crazy thing. The dog was in pain. Uh, I, I like your mutt giver. It was one of those situations where I literally had to uh, in order to create a collar and leash to even be able to kind of keep the dog by me once I earned the dog's trust to get it close enough, I at the same time, I was pulling off my drawstring of my hoodie and then the drawstring from my my sweatpants to create this makeshift <laughs> leash, which, I mean, sometimes just like, perfect, you, like you said, perfect. you can use all things. Like sometimes, you know, if I had a belt on, that would have been ideal. Didn't have it. Now I make sure I carry extra leashes in the back of my car, but, you know, it's using, using what I had. But yeah, then at the time when we were able to get the dog and and the person came to uh, to take the dog in for care uh, you know we had to lift the dog mm-hmm. so one of the things we did we just used a blanket from the back of the car it was just old blanket and you know and was, we were trying to make it as low stress as possible and uh, but one of the yeah. things with the lifting up of the dog you could tell the dog was in in some pretty bad pain so you know creating that makeshift muzzle out of the makeshift leash that i had at the time that was that was smart yeah. yeah can, can, well, the other thing, I, I have a whole bunch of mutt givers I teach in my Pet First Aid for You classes. And one of the ones that cost like a dollar or two dollars, if you're anywhere near an Ikea store, grab those blue big shopping bags. Have you seen them? They're plastic coated um, and cut off the length and leave the leave it long with each handle. And you can fold that up into a tight little wrap and you have a makeshift gurney for a medium to small, a large dog plus handles. Whoa, I freaking love that. And, and also if you, if the dog is a large dog and they got injured in your house and they're immobile, using that, you can actually glide it across a rug or a carpet and Mm -hmm. it doesn't cause friction like wrapping them up in a blanket or a big, big towel would do. So it glides across carpeted surfaces. Oh my gosh. That's, that's huge. I, my dad talks about that all the time. It's like that, that's one of the the issues people face with a a large dog to any of the giant breeds is, you know, if something does happen and the dog can't by their own power, get in the car, what do you do? And so I, I love that idea right there. That's awesome. There you go. Another mutt giver. Um, I actually have two and a half registered trademarks. I have pet first aid for you. I have four legged life and I was soon to get mutt giver. And my trademark attorney got a nicest don't you dare letter from CBS attorneys of CBS because they have the show Mac Giver. But my attorney said, this is so wild. Let's read this letter. And the letter said, we love what Arden's doing. She's doing a great job. We're kind of protecting the Mac Giver brand. So here's our deal. She can use the TM, temporary mark, from MacGyver, and then we won't sue her. Like, I'm going to take on CBS. Okay. (laughs) But then they added something my my trademark attorney had never experienced. They said, in return, we will legally represent her if anybody challenges her MacGyver uh, phrase. 
in court. So I got CBS behind me. <laughs> got the big boys. I... So I can I can use MacGyver. Got to use a temporary mark. But um, I just think you keep learning new ways to do things. Mm -hmm. And you have, like you said, the drawstrings, your shoelaces. Mm -hmm. um, aloe can be your palo on a mild or medium burn out when you're hiking. Uh, so we go through a lot of different hacks that people can use so that they can stabilize that dog or cat and can get them safely to the vet. And, and that's our deal. We're, our job is there on the scene. Not, we're not, we're not going to make you a veterinarian in a, in a four and a half hour class. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, so I have, I have a question for you. So when I think of pet okay. first aid, I think of, of, for instance, this time with my dad and thank, thank God it was like one of those divine intervention things like serendipitous that my dad just happened right. to be there, but there was this Jack Russell Terrier and the people had left the dog uh, tethered on their boat and the dog had jumped over the side and basically had, had strangled himself. And so uh, not breathing completely unresponsive, like complete, like flatlined. And so thankfully my dad were eating at this restaurant and heard the commotion. He ran out and then he's out there giving rescue breaths to the dog, doing chest compressions, brings the dog back. It was amazing. Like just oh God. thank God dog was, you know, kind of like you said with the other dog kind of just shook it off. I'm like, Oh, here I am. Okay. Let's go out yeah, and go like, sniff the grass. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> new friend. And you know, so dog, I, I don't know that they had any idea what happened, but you know, it was, it was, you know, so serendipitous that he happened to be there. Had I Oh, have yeah. been there myself at, at the time. This is, you know, very, very, very early on in, you know, my career and mm -hmm. in college, I wouldn't have known what to do. So in that situation, what, what do you do? Because it is, as you were saying, like the mouth, the snout, like yeah. it's different. It's way different than what we have been oh, taught and to I'm, do with people. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. Well, I actually teach that pet first aid for you program, which is for folks. And I, and I customize it for pet sitters or people that are in doggy daycare or first responders. But I also teach a two day instructor program with pro pet hero to teach you. It's a 16 hour course so that you can become an instructor in pet first aid. So I love that I get to teach all these and I do a, a cat first aid only class, which is crazy, but it's fun because there's a lot of cat owners that really don't want to be in a cat and dog first aid class. Meow. So with this, if I always ask my students, how many of you have ever taken a human first aid class and learned CPR? Some hands go up. How many of you have ever taken a pet first aid class and very rare come up? The thing is pet first aid is different a little bit in what you do when, because they have teeth and claws. <laughs> And usually the people aren't going to smack or bite you or claw you when you save their life. So when you're doing CPR and chest compressions, chest compressions and rescue breaths on a dog or a cat, most people do not know how to find a pulse quickly on a dog or a cat. If I asked you right now, uh, Mikkel, where would you find your pulse on you? What would you do? Because we've all seen it. Where would you put your fingers? Yeah. But the carotid artery for a dog or cat is really hard to find a pulse because of their fur and thick thickness of the skin. It's actually in the inside of their hind leg, the femoral. So what we say is we don't waste time looking for a pulse. If you clap and stomp and that dog is not moving, you immediately do a set of CPR, which consists of 30 chest compressions, two rescue breaths, 30 chest compressions, two rescue breaths. Only after you do that set, 
do you cross your hands over and with your two middle fingers, try to find a pulse on the inside of the hind leg where the femoral artery is. See, that's different than people. People look for the pulse first and then go. But people don't know where to find a pulse on a dog or a cat. And you can actually lose them by spending, wasting too much time. You always talk out loud when you're doing that so you don't lose count. But somebody else may hear you to help you. And the dog or cat may be in and out of consciousness. And they're like, oh, I hear a hero. (laughs) I'm pulling through, you know. And so we teach it and everybody talks out loud. Um, I make it fun because it's kind of a scary situation to do CPR. I've actually done it four times and I have successfully saved two. Um, And, you know, that's better than average because it's usually about 20 or 30%. So in our classes, I say the hand that does the pump is closest to the rump. And the palm is the pump. And all of a sudden people start laughing. And you know with Fear Free, if you can get people in a calm, safe, or happy mindset, they're more open to learning. So I checked with my veterinary advisors and they said, yeah, you can do that rhyme. Because why is the hand that does the pump closest to the rump? Because you need the hand that's by the dog's head available should they have a startle awake and they want to you know, chew Mm. your ear off. So you're a member of the Van Gogh family. So by doing the hand that does the pump closest to the rump, you actually have a safety lever with your forearm. Wow. I love that. So, so what, what do chest compressions look like on a large dog, on a small dog, on a cat? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's all the same. You need to go down one third to one half the width of that little guy or big guy's chest. And anatomy wise, the heart is under the ribs mm-hmm. and under the lungs. And the lungs are like this big umbrella. So you have to get past the ribs, past the lungs to that heart muscle. So each one is based on the size of the pet. And we actually show different hand placements to optimize your palm pumping on the heart. And and so little, you know, kittens, little, I say any pet that's smaller than the length of your forearm you can do one-handed chest compressions. Everyone else, you want to do your hands laced and do a two-hand um, chest compression. Does that make sense? It does. It but you does. do about each and every time you finish a whole set, which is 30 chest, two breaths, 30 chest, two breaths, you check quickly to see if you got the heart started by looking quickly with your middle fingers for a pulse on the femoral artery. Mm. If you find a pulse, but the pet is still out, you then go to option B, which is doing 30 mouth, your mouth into their nostrils. We call it mouth to snout and then check again. That's about one minute. And you have to be really careful to put your, the dogs, you always check their mouth for any objects. Then you put the upper and lower jaw together and you blow into their nose. Because if you don't seal the upper and lower, the air escapes out the side of their mouth and it doesn't get to the chest. Mm-hmm. And I have a medical term for that. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> you don't want blah, 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 blah. No. <laughs> coming out the side of the mouth. So, you know, it's really, it's very hands-on. I think people to take a first aid class, whether it's with me or some other groups, I, I, I think the more the merrier. You really need to take a class that's hands-on because that's how we learn. And I think there was some Metro Life survey that only 10 
2% of people who have pets actually have a pet first aid kit. And only 2% have actually taken a pet first aid class. Wow. I really hope we can change that. Me too. Well, I think I, it's one of the best gifts you can give your pet. I definitely, I will, as I said, I will definitely be taking your class after this for sure. And yeah, but I'm telling you all my jokes now. You're going to already be ready for me. <laughs> I'll beat you to them. Um, now I know it. So, so question but I- But it is nice. I, Go ahead. Oh, just a question I have on the rescue breaths. I, as you were talking, I was picturing, so the Jack Russell Terrier, for instance, my dad was was giving um, mouth to snout on. I remember his hands mm -hmm. were wrapped around the snout and then he was breathing right to the yeah. nose. So as you're saying, not letting the air escape. Uh, for some a dog that is brachycephalic, has that flat face like a pug or a Frenchie, like how- You how can do still you, do it. Okay. Yeah. Is it, is yeah, it the you, same? You're more cupping. Okay. Yeah. Yes. You, as long as you got that upper and lower jaws up together. And every time you take a breath into the nose, you need to turn and look at the chest to make sure that the air got to the chest. And you'll know that because the chest is going up and down. Other warning, do not be a tuba player on a Pekingese because if you overblow and it really pops open the chest way mm -hmm. high, you can actually burst the lungs. Wow. And if you overblow everything that's in the stomach, this is fun, is going to come out the mouth and say hello to you. Wow. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that, that could be. So the tip we give people is look at your dog and your cat when they get done waking up from a nap or when they just got done having the zoomies and see how high their chest goes up. Mm. That's your guide to not go beyond that when you blow into their nose and check the, the chest rising and falling. I love how you talk about just putting this into every everyday parts of your life, like looking <laughs> at, okay, this is their, their normal. We're practicing the muzzle. Maybe we're yeah. practicing some handling and making it this common thing. I, I know from personal experience with my, my uncle and trying to do CPR on him in the moment. And thank God, like my oh, dad yeah. was there and my, my brother, they both brought him back, but oh my gosh, even, you know, having taken the CNA classes and different, you know, CPR classes, like I, it, doing it in real life is so different than learning it in class. And I mean, there was a lot that kind of went along with that, but I mean, one part was just, as you said, it's like, it's hard to know, you know, how, how much air do you blow? How, how hard do you do these chest right. compressions? And I definitely looking yeah. back, I wasn't doing the chest compressions hard enough. And a lot of times it, as the first responders that did get there, they were saying a lot of times, you know, you're breaking ribs, like they're going to be extremely sore yeah. after. Is it the same way with pets or is it common to yeah. break ribs in this process? You can break, especially an older dog that has more brittle bones or a cat, you can break a rib. But as my advisors tell me, I'd rather have a, treat a dog with a broken rib than a dog that has all their ribs and is dead. Um, it is, it is an art and COVID kind of screwed us all up because I used to have one of those dogs that you could breathe into those, uh, um, medical dogs and everybody would get, I, you know, to cover the nose, I call it a spit souvenir, but it's the, the mouth guard. And we can't do that anymore because of COVID people are too nervous. So everybody in my classes used to be able to breathe into this demo dog and see the chest go up and down. But now we have to guide them. Don't be a piccolo player on a German shepherd. You don't want to go, shush, shush. And certainly don't be a tuba player 
on a little cap because you could burst the lungs. So we try to give them a little bit of knowledge and say, just have some fun. Watch how much your cat or dog's chest goes up and down when they've done exercise and when they've just woken up. And that's the sweet spot that you're aiming for the amount of air you're putting into their nose. That's awesome. I like that. Thank you. Yeah. So another, another scenario. (laughs) I'm impressed with you guys. The Becker bunch is great. I love the Becker bunch. (laughs) We love you, Arden. Uh, So a question I have is back in the day, I remember this really scary scenario that happened with my pug Willie, where uh, Mm. still, um, we aren't sure exactly what happened, but I think he went into anaphylactic shock. So he went out to go potty. And when I went to go let him and my other pug Bruce in, Willie didn't come to the door. And I'm like, oh my gosh, where is he? And I found him out collapsed in the yard and he was still breathing, but very, very shallow breaths, barely breathing. And I was like, oh my goodness. And this is me as a a new mom too, a single mom. And so (laughs) I had to, I mean, it was crazy. I don't know how I did it, but I somehow got stung by a bee or something or bit by a snake. I think, I think it was probably a bee or potentially a spider. I had get a, a whole EpiPen for him after the whole incident. Wow. But basically I, I rushed him to the pet emergency, which thankfully I knew where that was at. But after this, even anytime I always am looking, okay, where is the pet emergency? So that way Good. when it does happen, I know, okay, I don't have to like look it up in the moment because when it is you know, it's a rush in that moment. Like you have to get them there right away. When I got him there, he was, his, his heart rate was 30 beats per minute. Uh, just really, you know, cool. Like his body felt cold, you know, wow, his that's very low. gums were really pale. Like he, he was not doing well. And thankfully they got him on fluids, brought him back. But I think back to that and I think, Oh my God, that, that was, that was pretty scary. That was very scary. Thankfully, I wasn't freaking out too much. I was definitely praying on the way, like, oh God, please, please, you well, know. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was yeah. Def- definitely praying. But, you know, it's like I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, like, thank God, you know, he he hung in there until I got him there. But what what do you do in a situation like that when, you know, your pet it maybe is right. in, in anaphylactic shock? And that's a big one because some dogs, some cats, like some people are allergic to the the bee sting, the venom, and everything starts closing up. So we actually recommend that everyone keep some sort of antihistamine uh, in a gel form and put a safety pin taped on the box so you can puncture that gel cap and drip it into the pet's mouth to be able to help um, with the throat closing. The other thing that's really important, always, always, always use your speakerphone put your put the nearest vet on the speaker as you're still helping the pet let them know you're coming because there may be a poodle getting a mani pedi in exam room 1 they can triage and they can be ready for you every veterinarian i talk to and i have a lot of er veterinarians on my advisory board they tell us we want to know you're coming and so that's a big thing but when you choose an antihistamine for dogs or cats because they don't tolerate certain things that we do it has to have one ingredient and one ingredient only it's a big long word diphenhydramine diphenhydramine is the one and only the big d 
do not give them one like Benadryl for kids because it's got cherry or grape flavor with xylitol. Do not give them one that says pain reducer because that has acetaminophen and that will kill a cat and maybe even your dog. So we show the packet with the gel cap, with the safety pin already taped on, and we show the big word diphenhydramine. Oh, that's huge. And so those are two things I would recommend. I'm so glad Willie is okay. Willie, you get in trouble a lot, Willie. Oh my gosh. (laughs) You're giving your mama gray hair. (laughs) Yes, that's so true. (laughs) Thank God I have a good hairstylist. So I hope that helps. (laughs) But we try to be really practical in our classes because this is not a class first aid, I think, that should be all about theory and showing big words and all that. It's like, uh uh-oh, happened, what do I do? Mm -hmm. And if we can get people we do it live in person. We do it live interactive through Zoom. People get certified for two years. The class, we've taught people now in Egypt, Germany, and South Africa. Oh, and Greece. Wow. And the Greece one was fun because it was a cat first aid class for a cat rescue group. Let's be smart. And they wanted the class, but it was like two o'clock in the morning, their time. They all wore cat pajamas. <laughs> during the zoom broadcast oh how cute (laughs) and we all learn and and they still stay in touch um julie kelly shout out to your group because they've had to use some of the skills i've taught them on some of the cats that they've rescued and so i mean that's to me that's the best part if if you can give somebody the confidence and the knowledge and they can help save a pet's life i i think Mm -hmm. i'm i'm pretty happy with my life i i may never be wealthy but I'm enriched and I do a lot in the pet world, but of everything, teaching you how to keep your pet safe is, is number one. So Arden, another thought I have is in terms of like heat stroke, because I've definitely seen that the dog oh. is over exercising. Maybe they have been out on a jog or maybe it's a dog that just is super into fetch. They don't know when to stop. And yeah. that was another thing. I remember my dad like really teaching me was like, okay, you know, you're paying attention to the types of panting. You're really monitoring them, like looking at different signs that they may be overheating. And that was something I yeah. had to learn that, that it didn't come naturally to me. So what are some of the signs of a pet that's overheating? And then what do you do? Well, they start to pant a lot. And uh, bad joke, my dad used to say, Ardo, do you know what dogs do that men step in? No, pants. Sorry, bad (laughs) joke. Okay, so they're heavy labored breathing. And unlike us, they don't have skin pores all over their body. They sweat through their paw pads. So you may be walking Willie or some other dog or Indiana bones on a dried, hot day in the sidewalk. They're leaving little wet marks with their paw pads. That's a dog going into heat stroke. They're getting overheated. They're trying to cool their body temperature down. And the one thing that's really important is that if you have a very hot dog, they're going to have bright red sticky gums they're going to have labored breathing. They may have moist paw pads. They need to be in air conditioning and into a shade pronto. Heat stroke is a horrible way to die. And some of my vet friends have told me that when they do a necropsy on a dog that died of heat stroke, their organs have boiled. That is a horrible way to go. People know about the cars, but people now are getting out and they're going with their pets to festivals and pet expos and other things that are out and about on the sidewalk, you know, and the temperatures, 
maybe like 77 degrees, but the actual asphalt or sidewalk temperature is enough to cause first to second degree burn in a minute on a paw pad that where the dogs can't walk. So you get mesmerized by a vendor at a booth and your dog is on a tight lead. You are actually burning their paw pads and not even realizing it. It can happen really quickly. The other danger with a heat stroke, the best thing to do is take that spare poop bag, pour some cool water and start dipping each dog, your dog's paw pad in, in that water to kind of cool down the body core temperature. But the worst thing you could do is give them an ice cube or put a pack of frozen peas on their belly because when a body is really hot and they get hit with something very cold, boom, they can go into shock. So I say, in the words of Vanilla Ice, 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 not nice, baby. <laughs> So, so is is that also one of the reasons why, like, because I think it's also counterintuitive to what you might think it would be like, oh, just put them in cold water, like give them a cold bath. No, same, cool. same for the same reason. Hot dogs, cool. Cold dogs, warm. You do the, uh, the, the opposite mild version. And, but people also, they'll take a cold, wet towel and they'll put it on the flanks. But unfortunately... The hot body meets the cold, wet towel. You trap in that and it becomes a sauna and you actually accelerate heat stroke. Wow. So you can dab, but dipping the paws, getting them into air conditioning, monitoring their vitals um, are the kind of the things we do and, and tell bad you know, vanilla ice rhymes that people will never forget. So I can make a fool of myself. If that means it's going to save a pet's life. So I'm betting, Mikkel, you are going to think about ice, ice, not nice, baby. I will. If something ever got really hot. My goodness. I know. I, <laughs> Arden, you've, you've helped me a lot. Like, give me some really good food for thought on what I'm going to do in an emergency. I definitely plan to sign up for your class. How do people find out more about you, more about your classes? And just tell us a little bit more about how to follow oh, up on this. It's easy, the simplest way is they can go to my name, ardenmore.com, but they can also go to Pet First Aid for You, and it's a four and a letter U. And then I hope that they will sign up for my radio show and my podcast. It's fourleggedlife.com. It's F O U R, leggedlife.com. I'm on Facebook and Instagram and um, uh, YouTube, and I'm humbly trying to get into TikTok. I have three posts. I love it. Oh, you're, you're further along than I am. I need to start. Well, I, oh, I'm trying it's, to, it's crazy. My daughter is so into TikTok. My dad is insanely into oh. TikTok and I haven't gotten there yet, but maybe, maybe we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll we need to, we need to be schooled by your daughter and by your dad because <laughs> yeah, I can do. use the guidance. <laughs> yes, we do. So Arden, I want to close out with just a question for you on just what your greatest piece of advice is to maybe just younger women, uh, to just women really at any stage, because you have been such an amazing mentor, inspiration to me, like really kind of, you know, guided me, you know, from an early age to where I'm at now. But like, I know that you've, you have just, you know, you just are so inspiring. It's like, what, what would you say to someone? <laughs> well, I have to say that I have benefited by people before me. 
And it, I think it's important to be both a student and a teacher. It's important to pass on good knowledge and also have an open mind to learn new things. And I, I was one of the first original women sports writers for daily newspapers. Um, I've always been sort of one of the first, but I also want to tell people, find people that are there to help you and help others. And when you help get help and you help others, it, it's, I love it. I love it much better and always be willing to learn and always acknowledge people that have helped you. I mean, Dr. Elizabeth Colloran is a cat only practice and she's on, I think the fear your board. I'm not mm -hmm. sure. I hope so. <laughs> yes. Um, but she let me spend time at the Chico hospital and she guided me on some things that I now employ in, in my pet first aid classes and I get to be mentored by an ER vet, Dr. Deborah Charles here in Dallas. And I get to, to watch them on a midnight shift and get to learn. And I appreciate that. So we all can help each other and just be open to learn. I don't know. That's the best advice I could give you. I love that. And I have loved seeing you just excel. I mean, you have really come a long way, Mikkel. You're a great person. And I know I learned from you too. Oh, thank, thank you, Arden. And yeah, I love that you have that abundance mentality. You are, you know, all about just wanting more for other people. And I, I think, you know, from my dad, from you, like you are the people that have helped me to, you know, want, want more for other people to, you know, not have that scarcity mentality. And I think that that's so important, you yeah. know, whether in the pet business or just in life to, to, you know, not, not feel like that competition, but to just feel like you are, you know, it's about that purpose. What, what are you doing? What is your ultimate purpose? And I love that with you, you are all about pets, <laughs> all about people and your voice just resonates in so many ways. So yeah. I, I am very, it's not competition. One time when I was first starting out, you know, you always feel like, well, maybe they're going to teach the class or blah, blah, blah. And I had great advice from someone who said, if somebody is saying disparaging things about you or whatever, ad um, address the elephant in the room and give them peanuts. Hmm. And I said, what do you mean? Well, just say, oh, I see so-and-so. You also teach pet first aid. That's great. We have that in common. And you say that, and then you haven't said that they have a better program. You haven't cut down their program, but you have virtually, you have announce that in a, in a public setting. So, and just go forward because let people know what you can do. Put your heart in helping pets and helping people and everything will fall in place. I love that. Thank you so much, Arden. I am just sending you a huge hug from Washington to you and just love you. And just thank you so much for being here today. Well, I thank you. And I, I really enjoyed being on your show, Mikkel. So keep going, girl. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for Happy Paws. We hope you continue tuning in every two weeks as we explore more about your pets. Our next episode will be another installment of Trainer Talk. Lori Chamberlain joins us again to talk about how we can fix some of the most annoying household disturbances our dogs create. From counter surfing to garbage raiding, and also chewing everything they can get their teeth on. Make sure you subscribe to avoid missing out on any upcoming Happy Paws episodes. And if you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you took a minute and left us a review. For more content like this and much more, visit us at fearfreehappyhomes.com. Our music is by 310. That's the number 3, the word 1, and the word O. Follow them on Instagram at 310official and listen to them on Spotify or wherever else you find your music. <laughs>